Thank you for coming to church this morning on a cold Houston day that seems abnormal. But you guys woke up and you got here. And what we're going to talk about is a topic that everybody loves talking about on a Sunday morning when it's cold. And it's money. I know. You came on the wrong day. You may think. But actually the, the Lord is going to speak about it. First thing, before I even get into the sermon... I don't actually know exactly where we're at. Sylvie's pretty good on telling me each week. But this month, Oikos is meeting budget, I believe. Now, the good thing on that is that's just our best guess of what we think the Lord wants to do through the generosity of the people here at Oikos. That doesn't mean that we actually spend it. It's just our best guess of... This is where we think the hearts are. Some of you received a letter from me um, maybe a month ago. Maybe it's been longer. I'm not sure. But it's sometime in the beginning of the year you received a letter of me just kind of having a guess of, I think this might be something that the Lord may place upon you to give this year. I want to thank you for just praying about it and just asking the Lord, where are you asking me to give in my finances? We are doing well as a church. The Lord is blessing us. And so I want to thank you for that partnership. Um, this season of Lent, as we reflect, it is a season that causes us to go introspectively into our own hearts, to ask the Lord to reveal areas where He's trying to kind of stir a little bit and allow us to see that He wants to bring healing. Because He wants the best for us. It's not a time for us to look at our sin and want to hide it because he wants the best for us. And he's a God who brings healing into the darkest places. He brings light into those dark places and allows us to see that what we think is beyond forgiveness, all he has is forgiveness. He's pretty awesome. This season of Lent, we're looking at sins that have become normalized. Sins that we look at and we just go, yeah, I don't think it's really, you know, what we should do, but everyone kind of operates this way. Um, our culture oftentimes entices us to forget what the Lord has shown us and taught us, what he's told us. And we begin to justify that perhaps it's not just so bad. But the Lord says that the dangers of these sins is not so much that you are a sinner. The dangers of these sins is that they take time away from our relationship with the Lord. They separate us from Him. And when we can't look at him as a forgiving father that restores things, all we'll see is that sin, even if it's just a little bit. So how many of you have received a pay increase at some point in your life? Doesn't mean a raise. Okay, we got one. Hopefully, I mean, I, I can tell you what I was paid as a missionary for Venezuela compared to a uh, youth minister, 
was like a 400% raise. <laughs> I probably did the math wrong there, but I'll just, this is like $6,000 a year, and then it went to 21, and I was like, holy smokes, I'm in the money. I, have my, I can get my own apartment and pay for it. Before that, I was always living with other people. So I was like, oh, wow, I, I can pay for this. Now, how many of you who have received an increase within about a month after that increase, you're wondering, where did that increase go? Now, how many of you believe that God provides everything that you need? Of course you do, because you got here, right? <laughs> so everyone rose their hand. Now I want you to check that belief. I believe that God provides everything I need. How many of you have complained about something you don't have? The story begins with King Saul. And the backstory of King Saul is that he was actually doing really well. He was being a pretty good leader. If you don't know, this isn't Saul who changed his name to Paul. That's New Testament. This is Old Testament Saul who was chosen to be king of Israel, the first one. Pretty high standard. This is the Lord through the prophet saying, Saul will be king. So there was no mistake. This, he was supposed to be king. He was chosen. He was operating really well. He had won victory after victory after victory for the Lord. He was consulting and in communication with the Lord. If the Lord said, do this, guess what Saul would do? He would do it. Saul had a family, and he had many sons. At that time, sons were really important because that meant your kingdom, your heirship would continue. He was, in all minds, awesome. And in the story today, God asked him to do something. And even as the Lord asked him to do it, Saul says, yes, he's supposed to destroy the Amalekites completely and everything that was a part of it. Because the Lord said, my time with them has been done. Justice may come, must come now. Saul didn't flinch. He did it. And then just a little bit of greed popped up. Let's listen to the story. One day, Samuel went to Saul with instructions from God. The Amalekites attacked my people when I brought them out of Egypt. Therefore, go to battle with them and destroy everything. Kill all the people and all of their livestock. Don't leave anyone alive. So Saul took his army and attacked the Amalekites. He defeated them, but didn't kill everything. Saul's men kept the best of the livestock for themselves. They also captured King Agog and did not kill him. The Lord said to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king over Israel. He doesn't follow me and he doesn't do what I say. Samuel grieved in his spirit and prayed all night. The next morning, he went and found Saul. As the prophet walked up, the king said, 
The Lord bless you. I've done what God asked me to do. Samuel looked at him. Then why do I hear the sounds of sheep and cattle? Oh, the men saved the best livestock so we could sacrifice them to the Lord, but we destroyed the rest. Samuel said, Stop talking. I'll tell you what God thinks of what you've done. When you were humble, God made you the leader over his people. He then gave you a job to do. He said, go kill this extremely sinful people. Don't let any person or animal live. Why did you make him angry by not doing what he said? Saul said, I did obey him. I killed everyone except Agog, their king. And then I killed all the animals except these few. We kept the best for a sacrifice. Samuel said, Do you think the Lord wants sacrifice more than obedience? No. To obey is better than a sacrifice. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. You rejected God's command. Therefore, he's rejected you as king over Israel. Saul said, I've sinned. I can now see clearly that I ignored the Lord's command and didn't listen to you. I was afraid of the people and obeyed them rather than God. Please forgive my sin. Come, let's worship the Lord together. Samuel turned away. No, I won't go with you. You rejected the Lord. Now he's rejecting you as king. Saul grabbed Samuel's robe and it tore as he turned away. Samuel stopped and looked at their rip. He said, The Lord has ripped the kingdom of Israel away from you today. He's given it to your neighbor who's better than you. God isn't like men. He won't change his mind. Saul yelled, I've sinned. All I ask is that you honor me in front of the people. Come, worship with me. So Samuel went with him and allowed him to bow down before the Lord. The prophet then said, Bring me Agog, king of the Amalekites. Agog came before Samuel, not knowing what to expect. Samuel took a sword and said, You've made many women childless. Now your mother will be childless. The prophet then killed Agog and cut him into pieces. Then Samuel returned to his home. He never again visited Saul as long as he lived. Still he grieved over him constantly. Yeah, that's, that's heavy, right? But that's the Lord. And there's no apologies. That's who He is. We can try to figure out why does He have this anger against the Amalekites? Is it really justified to send His army in to kill everything? But I will tell you, the moment that we try to understand the ways of the Lord, we will be lost. Because our understanding can't meet what he does. And that was what happened with Saul. Saul was supposed to just follow the instructions and do as he was told. He had a direct line, a prophet that heard the Lord's voice and said directly to Saul, this is what you're supposed to do. And Saul didn't question it then. He didn't say, are you sure you don't want to save anything for sacrifice? He just said, okay, I'm going to go do it. But Saul and his men spared Agag's, Agag's life and kept the best 
of the sheep and the goats and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything. In fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. This was the verse that just struck me as I prepared for this message. So you have clear instruction from the Lord what you're supposed to do, and in the moment that you're supposed to exercise it, there's this little glimmer over here. And the thought goes through their mind, what is it going to hurt? We've destroyed everything else, and this stuff is good. What is it going to hurt to keep all this stuff for ourselves? And that's really how greed comes, right? Quietly and with silent justification. What is it going to hurt? No one will know. We're just going to take this, and guess what? And this, at least this is the way I kind of read the story. So I was like, if anyone finds out, we'll just say we're going to sacrifice it. <laughs> I mean, we already got our reason. But if no one finds out, it's ours. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Whatever appealed to them, they kept. Nowhere in this do we see Saul stopping and saying, Hey, Lord. Now, we know he spoke to the Lord. Nowhere did he stop as they entered Agag's palace area and go, Lord, do you want us to sacrifice this? This is, it seems with our eyes that this is really good stuff. No, they just looked at it and said, it's ours. Let's make it ours. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? This is so telling what greed does when you're in the family of God. Saul was in the family of God. This was not an Amalekite dealing with greed, with no guidance from the Lord. This was... The Lord's family. He was anointed king. He was sent on the mission. He was spoken to by God. That's where we can step into the story. We who are here have been called into the family of God. We cannot say, I've never heard instruction from the Lord. Right? You can't stay in a spot and go, I've, I just... I don't ever, I've never heard anything from him because I know all of you, at least this much, and some of you I know a lot more. 
you've heard from the Lord. At least once. And the verse is so telling that when we, as family of God, when we seek to grab onto things, in our attempt to grab those things, we let go of God. We grab onto things and we forget not only who we are, but we forget who He is. We're children of God. He's already given us and promised us everything. He says everything is already yours. And yet we go about life many times believing that He has given us everything, but then trying to grab onto things. It's the opening question, right? Do you believe that He gives you everything you need? And then complain about what you don't have. It's just a little bit of greed. I mean, you guys are not greedy people. At least that's what we tell ourselves, right? We're not greedy. We do things. We give. We're not greedy. And that's kind of where Saul was. He was doing good things. And then something that's so perishable. I mean, lambs. I, sorry, Annalise, I know you like lambs. But it's just a lamb. That he's like, oh, I got to have those lambs. I've got to have this stuff. And I can assure you that Saul was not living in poverty at this, at this point of his kingdom. So it wasn't that he didn't have anything already. It was that he just wanted more. So why do we think so little of ourselves and choose things over obeying and living in God's ways? Oftentimes the sin of greed just shows what's really wrong with our heart. It shows that we've got something that we want to fill with something else. That we think if we just have that certain type of car, if we could just have that certain type of house, or if we could just have a little bit more, a little bit more money in our bank account, or if we could have, if we could eat at that one place instead of this other place, if we could have this one thing, that's kind of how it begins of, I don't, I want to believe that God gives me everything I need, but I can't be content with what I have. And I can't give thanks for what I have. So I turn from thankfulness into, this is what's missing. Now we do this, not only with our finances, we do this with our relationship with the Lord. You know, if He would only speak to me a little bit more, if He would give me a sign, then I would know. If He would just, if He would heal that one thing, then I would be better. I'd be a better person. I'd be a better servant if the Lord did this. We do this with our relationships. If that person would just be a little bit better to me, then I'd be a better, I'd be a better person. We live in a sense of discontentment. But the Lord says, I give you everything you need.
And we all would say we believe that. But it's invitation to us today as we deal with this just a little bit of grief. Instead of grabbing onto other things, grab onto him. King Solomon, he can come after King Saul. First David, Saul would be totally destroyed after this. David would come in. David would have a son. That's going to be a whole other story coming up next week. He would enter relationships a little bit differently, but out of that comes Solomon. Solomon is given the gift of the Lord to build the temple. Solomon is not only given that, but he's given a lot of wealth. In fact, the kingdom of Israel had never seen so much territory that was under their control. They had never seen so many political relationships across the globe. They were doing so well. Trade was awesome. And as you move forward with this king, he would write these words, or at least we believe, in Ecclesiastes. Those who love money will never have enough. You could just stop right there, right? Because when we look at that, we just never can't have enough. It comes from the opening question. You get a raise, and you may, yay, I got a raise. And then the next month, you're like, we don't have enough money. Well, how can that be? You had enough money the, the month before, and now you have more money, and now you don't have enough money? What happened? And I'll tell you, sometimes there's real things. You go in the hospital, and you, but what the Lord wants you to do is go, thank God for that raise. We have less money in our bank account now, but thank God for that raise. Because it paid for part of the hospital bill that we weren't expecting. I saw a show this morning on Sunday morning. It's something our family watches. And this guy was imprisoned for 45 years, I believe, or 46. Or, but he didn't do it. He's exonerated. And when that happens, you're supposed to get some funds, but that's tied up in the courts. Big surprise. He had nothing, and he said the way he would, the way he lived those 46 years in prison, knowing that he hadn't committed the crime, was he took up painting. And that's why I kind of really love the story, because I thought, well, if I was ever in prison, I'd probably paint. I'd probably do that because I enjoy that. And it would take my mind off of it. But he saved all his paintings, which I also thought, wow. I bet he didn't even think about it when he, that first year in prison that he painted a few paintings, that these actually would be the resource of his financial well-being 46 years later. So he has this accumulation of paintings, and he gets out and he thinks, I'm going to have to panhandle because I don't, no one's going to hire a guy who's been in prison for 46 years. They said, I'm not going to go into self-pity. What have, what do I have? 
to offer. And he had these paintings. And now people are paying him $1,000 for a painting or more. I, have, I don't know the exact numbers. I believe that's what I heard. But I looked at that and I thought, that's a great example of contentment. He could have said, I'm going to burn those paintings. This represents a time in my life that I was unjustly, and people were unjust to me. Those paintings are gone. That's probably, I mean, I would probably have been like, I'm burning those. I'm free, and I wouldn't have had the foresight to go, that might be how I eat tomorrow. <laughs> but he had that foresight. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? This is Solomon. But the disciple John, he was the longest living disciple of the 12 disciples of Jesus. We estimate at least 80 to 90 years old. What I love about his story is that it gives us confidence about Jesus because he saw Jesus rise from rabbi to crucified to risen Lord to ascended Lord. And then he lived another like 40 years, 40, 50 years after that. Always saying, Jesus rose from the dead and I was one of them that saw him die and saw him raise. Even after being pushed into isolation because I guess they decided they didn't want to crucify him. John would continue to say, Jesus is the resurrected Lord and Savior of my life. Well, John would write these words in 1 John. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. This world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Jesus also taught about greed. Surprise, right? He had someone in the crowd that was worried about not getting their fair share. Have you ever been concerned about that? Have you ever felt like you didn't get your fair share? Everyone share that? So this is a common problem. It's addressed because Jesus just happens to be passing by and a guy cries out, I think I'm getting cheated. Jesus, can you fix it? So Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. I mean, that's going the big guns, right? I'm just going to skip everything else, and I'm going to go to the Son of God and go, 
tell him he better divide this properly because I'm getting screwed here. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's funny, isn't it? There's so many applications to determine your net worth. There's so many comparisons about who the richest person is. And it always seems to point back to how many dollars they have or how much they own. And we classify people in a way, I was thinking about this, when someone becomes famous, we seem to give money and authority to those people. Yet Jesus himself says that life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. The problem with a little bit of greed is that it takes the focus off of who you are to God and who God is to you. You forget that He's a loving Father that provides for you. You forget that everything you think you own really isn't yours in the first place. Scripture is very clear that everything here is His. He just allows us to use it. At times, manage it. But it's always His. It's His when we spend it incorrectly. It's His when we do it in His ways. It's always His. Greed is just simply short-sighted. Greed is, I'm going to grab this really quick because I don't believe I'll ever get it if I don't take it. Greed is, I'm going to pack this away because you think you're long-sided, but because I think it would be better served for me than for anyone else. That's why Jesus says, don't spend all your time trying to make wealth. You'll miss out on having a great and rich relationship with God. So I think you guys can probably see the practical practice, right, of this. The practicality of Jesus' words are so clear. But what have we made so common in our society? Who do we elevate? Do we elevate the guy who works 80 hours a week? Their family may be a mess, but they're trying to get wealth. And they have a great house and a great pool and 
Everything looks wonderful from the outside. And we go, wow, that's a hardworking man or a hardworking woman, don't we? Do we say that? Yeah, we do. We drive by homes that are beautiful. And we say that's a successful person. But Jesus says, if you spend all your time trying to make wealth, you're missing the boat. Now, be clear. This is not a sermon against people who have money. This is a sermon against those who every day they strive to get money. And they'll never have enough. I've met many people who have a lot of money. One family in particular that I remember, I love that they never really talked about money. Unless it was about giving it away. They still had a lot. They, I didn't go in their home, but I, I'm guessing it was a nice home because it was in a nice area. You guys know what I'm talking about. River Oaks area. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was a small little home. I think it was a bigger one. I don't know. But money didn't capture their heart. Listening to the Lord did. And I thought this is something that as we go about being generous and being practical, some of you have, you strive day in and day out and there's things that are going wrong with your family and a little bit of greed tells you if I work just a little bit harder, that little extra money is going to make the difference. I believe what the Lord is telling you today is the little bit of money will not make the difference. But you taking that little bit of time will. You stopping and having a good conversation with your spouse instead of rushing off to work will make the difference. The extra money you're going to get or the possible bonus that you could get will not. Those are good things. But when you strive for money instead of your relationship with the Lord, you're just not going to see the gain. You're grabbing for things that will not last. So when you say, I got to get to work, I don't have time to read my devotion, I don't have time to read the Word. That's a little bit of greed. I know that's hard. But you are now putting the approval of your boss and your system that provides your income ahead of the Lord. It may mean you have to get up earlier. Or it may mean that on your break at work, you may have to not use it for other things. But maybe you just step into prayer. And you guys, please... Many of you have done this. You've testified that this is what you do. That you're seeking after the words of the Lord. That you're seeking after that relationship. But there are those days, right? And when those days get conflicted and confused and chaos enters in, I want you to just reflect. Am I seeking after the things of the world? 
or do I want a rich relationship with my father? I wonder what kind of difference that might make. Some of you have a lot of justifications, and I've heard them, why you don't think that generosity is the right time for you. So when we talk about tithing in church, I bet you can guess that many people have told me, well, right now it's just not the right time. My job isn't quite right, or um, I, I think I'm going to get a raise pretty soon, and so then I'm going to tithe. But remember the question at the beginning? This is what happens when we get a raise. How often do we go, oh, that means I can give more? <laughs> Oftentimes it's more like, oh, where can I spend it? Because that's our nature. But the Lord is saying, can you step into generosity? The widow's mite is a great example. She had nothing, and that's why Jesus gives this. But she had everything. Money did not determine her self-worth, and she knew it. She knew it. She knew that money did not determine whether she would be taken care of. She believed it, and so she gave all that she had. I'm not asking you to have that faith, but I, I personally go, wow, what would that look like if I really believed and acted upon it each time? Would my life have so much more peace? Absolutely. Please don't get me that if you're giving 10% that you're not greedy. Because we can be just as greedy. Just be, you can write a check out and you can click that box, right? Go, God, look what I did. That doesn't mean you're not greedy. He wants you. He wants you to be free from fear. Too many people check that box, they give 10%, but guess what they do every day? They look at their bank account and they worry about how much money they have. God wants to give you freedom from that. I'm not telling you you can't check your bank account every day. There can be fraud and things. There's some good things that you need to be looking for. But I want you, when you check your bank account, are you giving thanks? Or is your first thought, we don't have enough? And if it's, we don't have enough, then say, Lord, help me to see and be content with what you've given. If you're not tithing, the Lord wants you to try. And he will show you that you have enough. That's really the beauty of tithing. It's not so that we can meet budget. Although, I mean, if we don't meet budget month after month after month, um, this part of God's kingdom goes away. <laughs> it just goes. There will be other areas where he's working it. But that part, that's just a reality. Tithing is about you and the Lord. It's a test of you trusting him. It's an invitation to believe that He is always providing and that He will provide in the thick and the thin. 
and he invites us to do that together. Not in isolation. Because he knows trouble will come. You're going to start and something's going to break down. But the beauty of living in community is that you have people to help you. I've seen it. Others have seen it. And I hope that you could receive it. Jesus says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. These words from Jesus are very clear. Make a choice. You can live for this world. You can work for wealth. You can do these things. You can tire, 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 uh, whatever. You can be so tired, not tirelessly. There we go. Pursue things that will, as Solomon says, go right through your fingers. You can be proud of your retirement fund. And end up having to use it for something else. You can store up a whole bunch of things. And get hit by a bus. God's calling you. Work on my relationship with you. And actually don't work on it. Just. Acknowledge it that I love you. Jesus is so blunt, but Jesus is love. Yes, we are fools if we go after things that will not last. We are stupid, stupid fools. But he is calling us into something greater. He wants us to look around this world and go, everything is already ours. Why do I need to grab onto it? He wants us to look at each other and rejoice when someone succeeds and help when they need help. Knowing that what we've stored up is for His goodness and nothing else. May we look at our bank accounts differently. May we look at ourselves differently and not think little of ourselves. I don't care if you have one dollar in the bank. You are awesome in the Lord's eyes. He loves you. I don't care if you don't have a degree that will make money. You are awesome in his eyes. And if you have a lot of dollars, I pray that those dollars are not what you look to and bow down to. That your security is on the Lord. Because he is the one who lasts. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us today to look at your word and to look at Saul, to look at our relationship with you. I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts. When we get into the mode of always seeking for more, always wanting more, always needing something else, may you make us content. I thank you for the stories. I pray for the gentleman who has been recently freed after 46 years of being incarcerated. I pray that you give him peace. I don't know what his relationship with you is. I have no idea.
where his heart is, I pray that it would draw close to you if it's not already. And may that be a testimony of a life well lived. Lord, I pray that as we engage this next week, that we could see money and finances and wealth and property and all those things a little bit closer to how you see it. Invite us to see what is perishing and what's imperishable. Lord, may we hold on to you instead of other things. In your name we pray. Amen.